Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. Uh, on today's show, is the N9 for Newsnight? Ratings continue to slide and budgets are about to be cut and they've just lost their editor. Uh, what next for their flagship news show? Uh, also on the programme, uh, just three publishers dominate newspapers now, but does it matter? Uh, YouTube announces new channels and platforms while Netflix subs slow. Uh, all that plus in the Media Quiz, we guess the mystery voice of news. Uh, that's all coming up on this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week, the BBC, ITV and a number of super indies are to be investigated by the Competition and Markets Authority. This is over the use of freelancers in the industry and whether companies including Hattrick and Tiger Aspect have fallen foul of competition law. In the wake of the conflict in Israel, the EU has written to Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg to remind them of their responsibilities to take down misinformation. While Meta have pointed to their efforts to take down content, X's boss has simply asked European leaders to list the violations on his platform. And Donald Trump has demanded an apology from Forbes magazine after they omitted him from their rich list. Maybe next year, Donald. Maybe next year. Now, joining me for the London Podcast Studios are two guests who are always in the top 400 media podcast contributors. Uh, first up, it's Alex Hudson from Newsweek. Hello. Good afternoon. Um, so, Big Brother's back. Have you watched any of it? No. Are you, are you, glad, it, are you, are you glad you're not watching or do you think I've, I can recapture my youth? I am very happy it's back and very happy that the TV executives have thought, quick, we need to make some cheap TV because ad revenue is falling. And I'm very happy that it feels more friendly to the diversity that Britain has to offer. Uh, And it's a bit more like it used to be as well. It's less influencers, slightly more real people. Inverted commas. Real people who know exactly what they're getting in for, know exactly where their Instagram influence pay packet might come from and know exactly what they're doing. The innocence of the first Big Brother of forever ago Mm. is dead i am afraid clague clague anyway and next alex we welcome back broadcast consultants a media pod goat it's paul robinson Hello. pod goat yes that's the nicest thing someone said to me all day <laughs> any nice stamps in your passport recently um well no i mean trying not to go anywhere at all actually Ooh. i am going to nice on sunday mm. for mipcon um la the week after that but no i've, I've tried to be away from uh, heathrow I, it's been great i've had four months of not going anywhere near fantastic excellent and um uh, we were just talking earlier, obviously the Jimmy Savile drama, The Reckoning, uh, aired on Monday. Did you manage to catch it? I did. And um, I was sort of in two minds whether to watch it or not. I mean, Because I'm just remembering your sort of bio, you were sort of Radio 1 in the 90s. Were yeah. you sort of very much post him? I joined end of 89. Right. And he'd already gone. Yeah. And at the time I didn't really think about it, but now I'm extremely grateful. Mm. So I've never met Jimmy Savile. Mm. 
Um, what was interesting about Radio 1 is that Jimmy Savile wasn't really there very much mm. because all his shows were pre-recorded. He only ever recorded links. He never played a single record. And he'd come in and do a month's programmes in about two hours and the car would be parked on the metre outside. So he, there wasn't really much influence with mm. him in the culture. But I'm glad I never met him. Mm. I mean, I watched it. I thought it was chilling. You know, it was mm. well done. Steve Coogan, brilliant. I mean, carried it off, I think, absolutely fantastically. It was made by ITV, of course, mm. and the BBC. So I think I do believe Charlotte when she says, you know, I gave them a free brief. But I thought it was probably pretty true to the real, the real man. Uh, well, sticking with the BBC, uh, reports that Newsnight's editor has left his role. Uh, Deadline said uh, on Wednesday that Stuart McLean is joining the BBC's Africa Bureau. It comes at a bad time for BBC Two's long-running flagship news programme, uh, which is facing severe cuts to its budget. Um, Alex, five million quid cut is quoted uh, in an, in the article. Is that doable on Newsnight? Yes. <laughs> um, so there's a number of things going on. And it's been a conversation for as long as I can remember. Like Newsnight's viewing figures are about three hundred thousand, give or take, and and some of the media is taken. When Paxman left, it was at one point four million, which was inflated figures because it was Paxman leaving. So millions of people have never ever watched Newsnight, or at least not in the modern times. Mm. And you're ignoring the internet, you're ignoring social media, and you're still relying on ye oldie. How many people watched it? You're still using barbs as this this thing that somehow people still hold dear. That's not the way it works. BBC needs to work on impact, lifetime user value, all of these new mechanics that we need to think about more effectively. So it's not a good judge. And there was a um, BBC exec, Katie Self, former BBC exec, she was talking on a podcast saying, is it really the right thing to spend all this money on a programme that's only watched by 300,000? You could do that same investigative journalism but spread it across news in different parts of the day. BBC News has an impact team whose sole job it is to move that journalism around the organisation already. It can do it for less. The BBC has to spend more on original journalism or else what is it doing? Does it need to be Newsnight necessarily? No. But can Newsnight still run on less money? Yes. Does it run the risk of ending up as GB News or Talk TV and taking too much inspiration from that format? Yes. Uh, Paul, has it just been protected for kind of too long uh, and now it's sort of catching up with reality? I think the format needs refreshing. Yes, I do. I mean, I, I do think it's a little bit staid, a little bit predictable. Um, you know, I think Newscast does a better job, for example, mm. as a daily current affairs programme. However, do I think the BBC should be doing something nightly, which is analytical in, in a block? I, I do. I think it's key to their purpose, their public purpose. Um, and I think it's important the BBC does investigative journalism. Now, on the costs, you know, I, I don't like the idea of money coming out of news because I think the BBC should be investing in news. I think it's absolutely one of the things that underpins the BBC. But that doesn't mean to say you shouldn't be efficient. You absolutely should. Um, but I think the BBC should be investing in news. And I do think uh, some sort of structured investigative strand that's there every night, maybe it needs you know, a new look, maybe it needs a high-profile presenter. We know that you know, names will bring audiences in. You know, you, Alex has just made that point very eloquently. But I do think that um, some sort of current affairs investigative journalism on the BBC should continue on, on BBC One or BBC Two. I mean, Alex, there's been quite a bit of changes in, in BBC News to bring together of the domestic and, and world news channels. Um, kind of mixed reviews. Obviously, there's been trouble with it, but it's probably to a certain degree the right thing to do. How does the BBC deal with this emerging sort of personality journalism? Mm. How does it deal with the globalisation of news? How does it deal with the fact that it's still funded by the licence fee payer? Consolidation is good, but what they have done is they are thinking about it as a sort of removing content rather than optimising content. Mm. They're allowing journalists less freedom on their own 
of their own volition. It's more being centralized into a big amorphous blob of content rather than it being sort of specialized journalists going out and doing these interesting things for programs that then travel across the BBC. But that's one of their aims, isn't it? To try and reduce kind of like duplication and commissioning so that they can put some of the money behind more individualistic sections. They're always changing the organogram. They're always having a restructure. They're always thinking about how they do fewer things better or you know make the unmissable omnipresent all of these all of these things but it, it's still the same issue that if you if you're doing good original off diary journalism you're not going to tell anyone else about it because that's when those stories die and if someone else has a similar idea journalists aren't that sort of singly thinking about one issue there there is often going to be an overlap and if the bbc does too many good stories that's not a problem it's if they're not doing any that's the issue well there's been a a very large off diary story this week uh with uh the issues around israel and palestine how do you think news has done in covering this is It, it almost uncoverable it has to be covered effectively the idea that you can cover it without the instant polarization of every side is and he, I'm going to be incredibly careful and speak yes. very slowly because mm. it's a case of every single word you say on this issue is under the the sharpest spotlight. And so there are so many ways that you can say a single word wrong and it, and it affects the way the entire discussion goes from there. And so I think there's a I'm going to I'm going to simply quote a TikTok influencer. I'm going to take a TikTok uh, called The History Wizard. Found a fascinating content. And he says, can I sum this up in an easy to understand way? No, the system is effed sideways. Anyone who tells you differently is a liar. And so how you get through all of that in a factual way, mm. with given the propaganda machines on all sides, both domestically and internationally, and how you get to the, the heart of the story factually given the centuries of history around this, it's it has to be covered. It is very difficult to cover effectively, responsibly and factually. Oh, it's hard to be covered in a way that everyone's happy with, isn't it, Paul? Yes, it is. And um, it's not a surprise the BBC's had complaints. I thought John Simpson's piece was pretty good. And I pretty much agree with what he said. And that was... You know, those who criticise the BBC and these four law lords who've criticised the BBC for not using the word terrorist in connection with Hamas um, has caused a furore. And he says, well, no, um, we're not calling them that. We're calling them extremists. And the reason for that is it's about our voice. Our voice is about being impartial. It's about you making up your mind. You know, we present you with the evidence. We interview people who are terrorists. We interview people with different points of view. And we try and obviously be balanced. And then you make up your mind. And I think that's a very clear and uh, very right way of putting it. I've been pretty impressed with what the BBC's done. Very tough to cover mm. it. And you could criticise it very easily. But overall, I feel they presented the facts clearly and concisely up to you to make up your own mind. Uh, well, sticking with news, but moving to print media, an interesting report this week uh, revealed that just three UK publishers control 90% of print reach in the country. Uh, that's according to Tom Chivers and his paper, Who Owns the UK Media? Uh, I'll leave you, dear listener, to guess who those top three are uh, before Alex reveals the results. <laughs> um, who are the big three? Uh, DMG Media, News UK and Reach. It's not a big surprise, is it? <sighs> Or is it? it? It's not a big surprise, but it, it's... So is it, maybe it's a big surprise for people who aren't in the media. It's a big surprise for this report to be phrased in the way it is. The idea that we are the top line of this story that's come out has been about the print media as if it's not 2023, as if we've suddenly gone back in time and print media is the way by which media conglomerates mm. are judged. And Tom, who I love dearly and is a brilliant, brilliant 
brilliant person who understands numbers better than most people. He's won awards for this data, trying to say that it matters that these people control the the physical things is mm. is confusing. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. And so when he talks about sort of digitally sort of says ten of the top fifteen online platforms used to access news in the UK are owned by Meta, Google and Xcorp, that's more interesting. But then it's it's not their fault that the big media companies are owned centrally. Everything is a mush of conglomerate in the middle. I understand why this report exists. I understand why it's made headlines, but that Reach and DMG and the sort of the people that everyone knows, so all of the all of the CEOs of these companies dominate the narrative is not a surprise. What's surprising in this is the lack of TikTok discussion in this report and the influence that that has across the narrative, across the media. I mean, Paul, is there a problem that basically the sort of media slash political elite are still a little bit obsessed with what's on the front pages? I think that's true. I think this is a non-story, to be honest, because newspapers don't operate in a vacuum. They're just one way of sourcing news. And they used to be very, very influential. But I would say they're still agenda setting. Like if you listen to the Today programme, which obviously reaches many millions of more people than uh, subscribe to the newspapers, they clearly take direction from their, all the news channels cover the, the headlines, whether they should do or not. Well, that, that is correct, and that may or may not be right. They mm. may be lazy. I mean, I'm amazed at um, radio stations doing newspaper reviews these days. So mm. That seems to me something that completely should have gone years ago. Now, the, the point is that, you know, newspapers are influential, but they're only part of the news agenda. They are concentrated. But in a way, does that matter? I mean, you take Reach Group. I mean, you've got in there the Daily Star, the Sunday Mirror, the Daily Mirror, the Daily Express. Editorially, they could not be more diverse, yet they sit under one management structure. So, you know, I don't think there's a, a point there, particularly because because as Alex was saying, online is much more widely distributed. There are about 15 players that make up the news agenda. Uh, the BBC number three on online, which is interesting. So I, I don't think it matters. I really don't think it's an issue. I think it's a completely non-story. So Alex, does, does it matter then whoever takes over the Telegraph, say? It depends. So all of this talk around the CEOs of these companies coming in and sort of setting some sort of grand editorial policy that their editors must follow, at least in my experience, is greatly exaggerated. It hasn't happened to me, and I've been senior in some of these organisations, and the idea that we would be told to say one thing or another thing just is not You mean true. there isn't a shady media cabal that controls <laughs> all, all journalism? No, I mean, as much as you might like to think it. Um, these people have never been to a newsroom where no one could agree on anything. Yeah, all of it is chaos. It's chaos, and if anything, that there is rare, there, there is no, well, in my experience, there has never been a conspiracy. It's always just someone forgetting to do something <laughs> or someone Googling, the, putting it up in the thing. And it, so it's, there could be a problem with monopolistic power around the media, around one company controlling that narrative but the risk is more with google with meta with tiktok with tiktok's own a bite dance mm. that's the real interesting question and so that this report sort of cites um tiktok's influence on news as being i think it's five million users access news through tiktok which is a confusing because it means people have clicked from tiktok into a news site and actually people consume news on tiktok mm. young people this is american data but the uk numbers are similar people will spend longer on tiktok than they do on netflix so it's it's you're trying to compare apples with apples without without comparing the real impact of what audiences are consuming and that is primarily at least if you're under probably now 40 TikTok is the single biggest elephant in the room that this report does not get to the bottom of. Uh, Paul, TikTok user? Not at all. Really, no interest re at all. Re no, really no. even with work. See, I, I no, say no if, interest at all. if you downloaded it within 
20 swipes, it would probably know your personality pretty much spot on and be able to give you the right the That's right a big stuff. worry too, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, I, I am worried it will just absorb so much time, yeah. uh, suck out so much time, I just don't have time for it. I mean, I'm, I've, I do Twitter, I do LinkedIn, do some Facebook. That is plenty for me. I don't need TikTok. I'm not going to go there. But Alex, Paul's right in the sense it does become a massive time sink. And basically, if you're in it, you're in it. I'm, I'm a big user, love it. What comes out of it is very entertaining and uh, very enjoyable. And that's the point of this report. So it's, you don't need to go to a news website mm. to get the news. So pick an influencer. There are TikTok influencers. Uh, Taylor Lorenz is probably the mm. best example. There are there are a load of different others who produce bespoke TikTok content that you are given one minute, three minutes, however long you want, and you are told the story. You do not need to go anywhere else. And it is Taylor Lorenz's point is actually that journalists' business plan now is to become the brand, to become this trusted person. As we get into the AI age, as we get into the Web3 age of everything becoming decentralized, your job is to become trusted and to become memorable and to become an appointment. And that means you don't need to go to a news site, but it's the people that are remembered. It's not the site they work for. Okay, additional natives, uh, stay with us as we've got more on Netflix, YouTube and podcasts after this short break. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Paul and Alex are back with me for some more stories in brief. Uh, a few announcements from YouTube this week. Uh, the launch of primetime channels uh, and also YouTube podcasts in the UK. Uh, Paul, uh, what are primetime channels? Well, primetime channels are really an aggregator of lots of other stuff. I think this is YouTube who um, are massively viewed uh, but aren't sort of proper telly. I mean, mm. YouTube is sort of seen as being something you watch, but it's not like the big telly on the wall. I think they want to grow into proper television and get the, the points for that. But also... They well, definitely want... over here in the UK. Yeah. Uh, but I think the same in the US okay. too. I mean, I think it's true in most of Europe, actually. I mean, there are countries where YouTube is less well used, largely because broadband's not mm. so well developed. But um, the point being is, I think they're arguing that having multiple apps is a real problem and people don't like doing that. I've seen no evidence for that. I've seen no data to support that. It may be correct, it may not be. I think more likely is that YouTube know that they are you know, absolutely up there for discovery and they don't want to lose that audience and they want to now convert them into uh, 
customers they can monetize in other ways. And it's smart, you know, to bring in uh, NBCU content, bring in Paramount content, all under one umbrella, including podcasts. So all that stuff's in one place. It's easy for people. So this is like if you if you want to sign up to like Lionsgate TV, uh, you can do that now through YouTube. Yes, I mean you're starting to see it a bit happening with the pay TV operators. You're seeing Sky and Netflix now operating mm. together and advertising together because they realise that people are confused. And also the data suggests that no one's going to buy really more than three or three and a bit of the streaming subs. Now, as more and more people come into that market and you've got you know, a lot of competitors still yet to come into the UK, um, you know, someone's going to fall by the wayside. You know, we know that Netflix, uh, Amazon and Disney in that order are the three big ones. Um, you know, how are the others going to get any market traction? By bundling with something like YouTube primetime channels, they can get into households. Because it's a bit like what Prime Video do with, with channels as well, isn't it? It's a, you can sort of do a sub within a sub. Yeah, yeah, you can. I mean, obviously, um, Prime Video Channel is a subscription, mm. um, and then they've got Freebie, which is the advertising part of it. It's the same idea. Um, I think that what's interesting, though, is that um, the Amazon Prime Video Channels are not generally big brands like Paramount coming in. They're either vertical channels or they are, you know, um, sort of more like fast channels mm. with fairly small number of hours, 100 or so hours, unique hours. This is actually, you know, real proper grown-up telly with all the, the big Hollywood blockbusters. Mm. That's the difference. Uh, it was interesting looking at what uh, happened between Disney and Charter in the States um, and sort of an understanding that cable companies are still quite useful for reaching uh, subscribers and stopping churn because these people are used to signing up people to long contracts. And everyone sort of thought we would be sort of de-aggregated and Netflix would just exist on its own. But the streamers have sort of realised maybe doing a deal with their old enemies is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's interesting. I mean, the, the high ARPU has caused cord cutting to be, you know, the biggest in, in America, far more so than in Europe. But, you know, um, 51% of total hours viewed in the US is still to linear channels. I'm excluding fast channels there. So it's not as big as it was, but it's still not trivial. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are saying, well, now Charter and Disney are having this bust up. It's the end of pay TV. You know, it's all going to go. And of course, that's not been the case. Both parties were actually very, very keen to get a resolution. Um, and obviously, Disney's lost some of its channels, but Charter's managed to get a, a cost Production. So I think it's, it's interesting. At the end of the day, I don't think linear is going away. I mean, I'm going to MIPCOM next week. The hot topic, everyone's talking about either AI or fast. Mm. I've had so, so many is, invitations is, so to cocktail parties to fast channels. So fast, <laughs> free, ad-supported television. Yes, yeah, yeah. so, but mm. it's linear. It's, mm. it's, it's another linear service. So, you know, my belief is that streaming is not going to replace every linear service on the planet. It just isn't. I saw about the BBC launching their own version of Fast Channels, slightly cobbled together version, sitting on iPlayer. Um, if, they're, if, they're no, if they're not ad-supported, I thought, are they, are they like Fabuzz channels with sort of PSB in the middle? I don't know. It's, it's like a burger without the burger, isn't it? Yeah. How you own the pipes. So this is the next stage of where we're going. The way that most of Apple, so much of Apple's money comes from App Store where it just hosts and it takes 15% cut or 30% cut. And so this as much as Elon Musk shouts about super apps, it's Alphabet's push for the super app. If Google can work out a way to own the pipes where everything comes from in the way that cable companies have done previously, that is a huge, huge cash cow for the next generation. I mean, Alex, YouTube are also pushing into podcasts. There's always been quite a bit of podcast consumption on YouTube. I put podcasts in like inverted commas, uh, but <laughs> watching uh, videos like ours on YouTube where some people uh, sit talking around a microphone, they're 
uh, introducing the UK podcast into YouTube music, um, they really want a bit of that market, don't they? I tried to uh, search for this earlier and it was still 404-ing for me. So this this launch thing, I had to proxy in from the US and then I got access to it. It was very interesting. But question back, what's the difference between a YouTube video and a, and, a, and a podcast. Can what well, I don't. Well, if you speak to someone under twenty-five, they say there isn't a difference, and that they see podcasts as a type of content rather than like some audio delivered over RSS, which maybe podcast purists would like. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm not saying I'm one of those, of course. I'm just hinting, just modern hint- and funky. <laughs> um, but uh, but what they've seen is there's a lot of podcast-like consumption, and why not try and suck in the rest of the market into their into their place it's another google play for that subscription model for owning the pipes to that content and so youtube as an app on your phone is irritating if you don't pay for it it won't let you play with it off so this looking through it 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 says that you access it through google music and you can listen to podcasts even if your phone is switched off yes um and it's free for the moment which is a kind of step away from their current model with YouTube as a whole, which is if you're not looking at it, they're going to switch it off and they're going to charge you the premium subscription fee. So it feels like the first step of of YouTube softening slightly how it sees long-form content being consumed in this way. And I, I think it's a test. If they can see rapid growth with this, they'll look to soften that elsewhere. Paul, YouTube, is this also them competing with Spotify who are making their own play for video uh, in those apps, particularly from those younger creators? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think Alex is absolutely right. I mean, you you just want to own that conduit to the customer. And I think people are um, would really love, I think, to have their music, their podcasts, their video, their telly, you know, their gaming Mm. all in one place. And the moment you've got to go different places for that. And I think that that consolidation is going to happen. It's not yet happening at that sort of level, but I think that's the next phase. Uh, Well, still on telly, Netflix have announced a slowdown in new UK subscriptions uh, with 4% growth year on year, which to me didn't actually seem that bad. I was like, it's 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 less pretty good, actually. So previously, they were sort of more at the sort of 10, 15% mark. But... I mean, given the competition, that isn't too bad, is it? It's not. I mean, look, 68% of the UK population have used Netflix at some point. You know, they are the largest uh, player. So, of course, you know, as more competition comes in, they are at risk of losing, you know, given that people are not going to, you know, maybe add new services indefinitely. So the fact they've actually not gone down, I think, is a miracle. Also, you know, you, you, you know about data, you know, it's one month's data is, you know, next month might show something else, you know, you never know. So you gotta be careful and look at the long term trend. I mean, I think Netflix has got a slight problem now about what it stands for. I think, you know, Paramount coming in, it's been really interesting how it's positioned itself around Yellowstone and Star Trek and some key franchises. And you sort of know what Paramount's mm-hmm. about. And if you want that, you'll go for it. Um, Amazon we know and we know why everyone has Amazon you know Disney is Disney I think Netflix hasn't quite got a position it's tried to really um, uh, focus on movies original movies and they've been a bit hit and miss haven't they some are great and some are frankly not so great they're feeling the white heat of competition and there's also the economic effect I mean there's no doubt people are being more careful with money um, and uh, you know we've seen some turn down because of that so Overall, I don't think this is a bad set of numbers for Netflix. I don't think anyone's going to be panicking. 230 million subscribers worldwide. You know, it's not a bad business. 1.4 billion profit last quarter. I think they're going to sleep at night. Well, Alex, I mean, revenues are up. Um, subscribers are paying more, though. They're paying 14% more than the year before. Um, inflation or greedflation from Netflix? Both. Um, <laughs> it's, 
it, if revenues are going up, it once again we get into that data set of do we have good data? Like subscriptions going up seem like a good idea. Does that mean that retention is higher? Does that mean that churn is higher or churn is lower? You know, what is the average user time? How what is the sort of callback? How how often are they using it? How long are they using it for? What are the new discoveries on those channels? Are they going back to things they've watched before? Like all of these data sets which for obvious reasons, they're never going to be public, but that's where you get into the sort of useful information. So if, if people are still paying for Netflix but aren't using it as much, that's when you're going to see those long-term turns taking a turn. But if you've, like you were saying, if you've got two-thirds of people already on the platform, you can't expect growth. But it's how they're using it that needs to evolve. So if you look at the way that Netflix has launched its gaming, which is a confusing it makes both perfect sense and zero <laughs> sense and i don't know what to make of it yet and it's it's so new but it's it's netflix trying what will keep people there for longer and keep people feeling like they're getting value for money and so the difference between you know 10 pounds or 15 pounds isn't that big once you've agreed to pay for it it's making sure that people feel like they're getting value from it I mean, the cost of subscription pool is fascinating because a lot of the streamers are making more money from the ad-supported customers than they are the subscription customers. So some people were saying them putting the price up is to sort of discourage people down a level uh, to take ads because they can make more revenue per, per user. I think the thing about the price going up is if you, you know, and Alex is totally right about, you know, we don't know what the behavior is, what the churn rate is. And the risk is if they're starting to watch less, then they will churn ads like any business. You know, if you don't consume it eventually, you you realize what's that thing on my credit card and you stop paying it. Um, The thing about subscription, though, is even though it's not contracted, it's lovely recurring revenue. And in terms of revenue per user, it's much higher than anything you can get from advertising. But there's no doubt that the, the Avod advertising pool is growing mm. so they want to they want to have basically have their cake and eat it i think it's very interesting I, I don't think anyone yet has completely got the balance right between the the advertising and the ad free part of this and I, I think there's still more work to do on that you know D- disney have had all sorts of sort of false starts on that um let's see I, i'm not sure where we're going with this yet personally i i pay not to have the ads but that's just a personal preference Alex, are you ads? No ads. No ads. No ads. Uh, okay, uh, just finally before uh, we hit the quiz, um, a lot of kind of podcast-related layoffs are still kind of flowing through. Particularly in America, we've seen uh, two ends of the spectrum, really. So WNYC, sort of storied uh, public radio station, uh, got into podcasts quite early, uh, laying off some staff. Also Pushkin Industries, taking quite a deep cut to its staffing levels. Alex, do you think sort of downturn or market correction? Is it just the the, the crazy money's disappeared or is this... The crazy money's disappeared Mm -hmm. is the shortest answer. So according to Grandview Research, the global podcasting market's worth about $18.5 billion now. It's going to reach around $24 billion by the sort of end of this year and it's going to keep growing until it's $130 billion it says by 2030. The money is not going away, but more people are creating podcasts and you're seeing what a dent in the advertising revenue. So before you would see a 30-second hit at the start of a podcast, then it went to a minute, and now it's 1 minute 30 on the most popular podcast. It's only one step away from two, and that's, you can see a change in the ad market. And alongside that, you're seeing the fact that everyone was, you know, pivot to social, pivot to video, pivot to podcast, as if that was the next logical conclusion, and the market has just corrected for that. There is a, so much money in podcasts because there, is, there are loyal audiences, and the brand recall is so high. If you've chosen to download this and to listen to this, you will know who these people are, and you will relate to them. Like the amount of podcast hosts, as I'm sure you have mm. had, people are friends with you. People come up to you, like, and they know who you are and what what you stand for, and all of these things. They are friends with you. There is such such a premium on that market, but there isn't such a premium that what Spotify paid for Rogan and everyone else could be repeated across the industry. 
I mean, there's some of this pool that just has like radio echoes uh, and it's sort of not very sexy to sort of talk about that medium that's been around 100 years. But, you know, adding more ad load, that's quite a radio thing, isn't it? Uh, realigning your businesses as the marketing kind of goes up and down, that's fairly standard. Um, are they just following a well-worn media track as it grows up as a, a media sector? Yeah, I think so. And we know what happens when you add the ad load and the ad load gets too heavy. You know what happens to the audience. And I mean, you know, you, you've had personal experience of that as well. I think that, um, you know, I would take this outside the podcast sector and say, you know, I spend quite a lot of time in LA and on the back of the writer strike, thank goodness we now solved, they offset Netflix and Disney that triggered a whole load of people, I think, reappraising, you know, market correction, absolutely mm. agree with Alex. But also I think it's about people using the opportunity because they think I can get away with people going now because everyone else is doing it I'm not going to get criticized for it in fact if I have shareholders I'm probably going to get praised for mm, doing it because mm. I'm seen to do something about cost base you know there is some softening of advertising so I think a lot of people who might otherwise want to do uh, maybe downsize a bit are doing it now because they have the window to do it I think it will change next year but currently we're going to see more of it and we've seen it right across the entire sector particularly in LA where they're still <laughs> like little nervous Nellies uh, okay, uh, just time uh, for the media quiz. This week entitled The Mystery Noise of Media News. <laughs> Trademark pending. Uh, our production team have three news noises. You tell me the story that they hint at. Uh, so slip your headphones on uh, whilst we test the buzzers. So buzz in with your name if you know the answer. So Paul, you will say. Paul. And Alex, you will say. Alex. Let's hear Mystery Noise number one. We're all really, really sad and we're really going to miss her. Paul. Paul. Uh, that is um, Holly Willoughby leaving uh, this morning after 14 years. And I'm sure they're really sad to lose her. <laughs> and um, I'm sure that she made the decision herself. Uh, are you OK? <laughs> I, I, I am OK. I'm just about coping with it. I mean, I did think it was quite extraordinary watching uh, Mark Austin doing the news. Uh, and he was covering the uh, the conflict in Israel. From Israel. Uh, from Israel. And then he had a newsflash in his ear. And it was, oh, Holly Willoughby's <laughs> resigning from this morning. I thought that was the most bizarre bit of news I saw this week. It was, Alex, a strange end to Holly's reign. I don't know what to say. It, that hint about whether or not it was her decision or not, I had not... That, it felt like her decision. Is it not her decision? I don't... I, I, look, here's my theory, right? And I've got no evidence for this. And uh, I'm just... This is just a comment. Nothing, nothing. I believe that, you know, obviously they thought, well, we need a clean slate. But we can't get rid of Holly at the same time as Phil. Let's let her, you know, come back and, you know, sort of say her goodbyes. And we'll, you know, we'll gradually, you know, let her work her way out of the system. And we'll start with a brand new team. It is a, it is a strange one. So Philip had like a sort of 30-second montage. I think uh, she got some, some messages on like the side of TV centre are in the opening titles like it's just going to be like a small card is shown it, for the next presenter it's strange that she didn't get the chance to come back in and do the whole like whole show of yeah. tears and mm. all that sort of, that that's the surprising thing I think. doesn't that tell you it's probably not a decision <laughs> <laughs> i mean paul this is people leaving shows is complex for everyone involved isn't it well in radio it's very simple you go and see the program director and he says uh, matt you've just done your last show and you go oh right are you saying this is my last podcast but definitely okay. not you're right. too good but you know what i'm saying yes. you know this is what happens i mean i think that 
ideally you want to let people sort of say their goodbyes but you know I mean what more is she going to say for <laughs> goodness sake you know how many more false tears can we have I'm, I'm look good luck to the girl 14 years very successful six less than Philip by the way just mm. for the, but uh, I'm sure she'll find out well, Kevin did say we'll see you with ITV doing other stuff so I'm sure she'll pop up somewhere I can't wait I it's thought just, she was absolutely I thought she was like gold dust for ITV is that it just shows what, what can change what can change mm. overnight uh, maybe it should be in the Big Brother house that's the place to go right uh, clip number two and that bogeyman still torments Glasgow Alex yes uh, that's about the podcast about the unsolved murders of the Glasgow women in the 1960s which means that the you know the case is being reopened because of good BBC content. Yes, it's Bible John, uh, the podcast that's promoted police in Glasgow uh, to reopen the case. This is sort of a dream outcome if you produce something like this, isn't it? Or we do some journalism in this. There way. we go. Impact. Judge on impact, not on audience figures. Judge on impact, not on audience figures. The way that we should be judging things is around if laws are changed, if someone is held to account, if if you fundamentally change the way that a thing is seen or the way that a thing is taken forward, that is the most important bit of journalism, which is exactly what the BBC should be doing, more original journalism, more more change happening, more more journalism that affects the way that society operates. Right, clip number three. Uh, you made a reservation for a midsize, and she's a small. Paul. <laughs> Who was that? Uh, this is Jerry Seinfeld. Yes. Um, the show finished, I think, 25 years ago, and um, they all ended up uh, being arrested and uh, bunged in, into prison. And um, he's hinting now about there being a, an alternative ending. Yes, because uh, it was sort of a universally hated ending mm. to Seinfeld. Yes, it was more hated probably than the end of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Are you a Seinfeld uh, viewer? No, I've watched the first episode of <laughs> Seinfeld three times. And I've never bothered to go further. It's like, it, well, three is pretty good. I mean, I think they should be very lucky, Alex, with that. Uh, it's definitely worth it. It, it, like all things, it doesn't date quite as well as you'd hope it would. Um, uh, and this was because uh, the uh, comedian Jerry Seinfeld, the eponymous star of, of the sitcom, um, mentioned that, yeah, something is going to be happening that has to do with the ending of an event last week. Uh, are you excited about Return for Seinfeld? No, I never liked it. Never, <laughs> never liked it. Never understood it. Never found it funny. I mean, I, I think the best quote is, it's a show about nothing. And that yes. really says it all for me. Uh, there we go. Well, that makes Paul our winner. Uh, for that, you get to mastermind our reboot of the new Seinfeld series. Oh, fantastic. Uh, well I can't done. wait. Uh, my thanks to both of you. Um, uh, Alex, where can people keep up with what you're up to? Uh, at Alex Huds, A-L-E-X-H-U-D-S, on threads, on Instagram, on TikTok. I'm still on X, but no one uses <laughs> it anymore. Um, but yeah, Alex Huds, everywhere. Uh, and Paul? Oh, just look at the news wise. This week I've got a nice double page article in C21 <laughs> and a piece in Variety. That's probably all do. Excellent. Uh, we'll put a note uh, in the show notes. Uh, thank you both. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it a lot. Thank Lovely you. studio. Gorgeous. And funny you should say that, Paul. Uh, this is the London Podcast Studios that we're recording the show in. It's in Hoban. And if you've checked out our YouTube channel or our posts on Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, you'll have seen it. Uh, and you'll know that London Podcast Studios make us look as good as we sound. Uh, and you can get 25% off your first booking when you use the code MEDIAPOD at the LondonPodcastStudios.com. That's MEDIAPOD at the LondonPodcastStudios.com for 25% off. Uh, my name's Matt Deegan. The producer was Matt Hill with support from Ollie Pitt. It was a Rethink Audio production. I'll see you next week.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.